You're listening to Leafs Lunch with Julia Tusheri and Michael DeStefano on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. One at the American end by Canada. Jerry feed it. Front, they score. And who else? Connor Bedard on the doorstep. Clark, he's got room, steps in. Big shot there. Rebound. They score. Logan Stankoven at the side of the net. He'll knock it home. And Canada has tied it up at two. And now a little center. He feed there. In front, chance. They score. And this line strikes again for Team Canada. Pressed by Wah. Joshua Wah empty net. He scores. Joshua Wah ices it. Canada off to the gold medal game tomorrow. A 6-2 final here in Halifax. That gold medal game will be tonight. You can listen to it right here on TSN 1050. Coverage will start at 6 o'clock. Puck drop at 6.30. Uh, I'm Mike DiStefano, and I am with Joshua Cloak of The Athletic today, filling in for Julia Tesheri, who I guess is on her final day of uh, the World Juniors beat, and then she'll join us back tomorrow. Me and Julia have not been on the show together. She joined us for a hit, actually, a couple weeks ago, or maybe a week or so ago, but we haven't co-hosted a show together since, I think, December 8th or 9th. It's been that long since the you know, original duo has been together. It's crazy. But with the gold medal game tonight, uh, we'll be reunited, I guess, tomorrow. Uh, but what a game we were treated to last night, Josh. I mean, it started off a little wonky, and there were definitely some nerves after Canada went down 2 nothing early on. The shots were like 9 nothing in the first six or seven minutes of the hockey game. And then Bedard does his Bedard thing, scores a goal to cut the lead, and then it was all Canada pretty much from there in terms of the goal on the goal sheet, at least, U.S. actually played very well. But what a game that was for Team Canada last night to book themselves another spot in the gold medal game. It's got to instill a ton of confidence for that team to, to know that you can you go down early and come back. And I think that's always kind of been the what the, the stereotype about Canadian teams in international tournaments. They take a long time to kind of grow into the tournament. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously they had the loss early on, and there, there were questions about that. But yeah, I, I think going into the gold medal game, they're not just favorites, but but wild favorites, right? And what I think is so interesting about last night is it, it wasn't the Bedard show. Like all the entire tournament, it's been okay. Connor Bedard, Connor Bedard, Connor Bedard. He's dazzling each and every night. The Americans did a decent job. Like I know he scored a goal. I think he had two points on the night, but they did a pretty good job keeping him at bay. So other guys need to step up for them to win that game, and a couple of guys in particular did. The guy in net, Thomas Millich, I mean, incredible performance, ended up getting player of the game, had 43 saves, and when they went down 2 nothing, it's like, okay, you got to lock it down now and help Can to get back in. Got some help maybe from uh, from the, the officials in the booth, a, a couple of goals that got overturned, obviously, but I mean, he was pretty fantastic in that game last night and, and definitely his best performance of the tournament. Yeah, and again, that that's kind of what you want because, again, two points for Connor Bedard, and we're like not talking about him, which is <laughs> it's wild. Like, ah, that's, only two points. Only two points. I mean, that's kind of the expectations that we have of the player now. But yeah, again, the, the questions about goaltending were were pretty. They they got pretty loud for the past few. Well, especially week. after the first game against Czechia, who they're going to be playing today, but different guy between the pipes. But I mean, they allowed five goals in that game, and they ended up pulling the goaltender, and that was. 
And then it's like, okay, well, what are we going to have now for goaltending for Canada going forward? And Milich, I think, going into this game tonight in the gold medal round, he's he's got to have silenced all of the critics at this point. And now I think there's a lot of comfort with him between the pipes. Maybe this is a question we can ask, Craig. But you know, sure. you look at the way that, that other countries around the hockey world develop goalkeepers, and they seem to do it with a lot more efficiency than, than maybe Canada does? Like, when was the last time Canada developed a uh, true... forever. Right, so I wonder if there's something in there. I, I do wonder if, like, maybe decision-makers are going to look at this tournament and say, okay, do we need to be making some changes in the way we develop goalkeepers? Because yeah. other countries in international tournaments don't seem to have the questions that Canada doesn't just have in this tournament, but has had for a long time. Like, let, let's say there's a best-on-best you know, tomorrow, I, who's Canada's starting goalkeeper, and how much confidence do you feel? Yeah, like Carter Hart, probably, and like he's had a very up and down career. Tristan Jari's in the mix. I mean, Darcy Kemper, I suppose, and and we're talking about guys who haven't really even been all stars in the NHL, let alone when you're talking about the best in the world on the international stage. And you know, Sebastian Kosa was a guy a couple of years ago who was drafted, and you know, can he become a great young Canadian goaltender? Devin Levi was fantastic a couple of years ago. He's in the Buffalo system. I think he's still in college, but we'll see if Milich can maybe turn into something. He went undrafted, and now he's out here making a name for himself at the World Junior Championships, and we'll see what uh, what his future can be. But why don't we bring in a guy who was calling the game last night and a guy who uh, knows these players and a lot of these prospects in the Canadian system pretty well. It's our good pal, Craig J. Button, TSN Director of Scouting. How's it going, Craig? It's going good. What cruise ship are you phoning me from today, A.V.? Oh, I wish. I really do wish I was phoning you from a cruise ship, but it's the 9 Channel 9 boat uh, right now <laughs> in, in in Scarborough. So not uh, not the, the, the best cruise ship, I guess you could say. Uh, happy belated birthday, by the way. Getting to celebrate your, your birthday a couple of days ago. Did you get up to anything? Yeah, I got up to 60. <laughs> I suppose. Did, see, did you go on a hike? Was that a, a photo of you taking a hike that day? Who's the no, off day? If no, I'm not that, was a, that was a that was a previous hike, uh, a Mount uh, Assiniboine, uh, out in uh, out in BC, and uh, I think the elevation out there at that point, I think it was something like uh, I want to, I forget what it was. I have it in my phone, but it was just a, it was just a, it was just a feeling of, of me being on top of the world. So well, I thought the picture captured it. Well, speaking of being on top of the world, uh, the crowd last night in Halifax were pretty felt like they were on top of the world, the way that they were cheering on Canada in that big comeback win last night. I mean, does the broadcast do it justice for just how amazing these crowds have been out in Halifax? What I would say is this, is that there's nothing better than being in the building. But the broadcast does uh, a, a fantastic job of... I'm trying to give you uh, the, the best feel for what is going on in the building. I, 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 I think that uh, the number of cameras, and, it's, and you can have many, many cameras in, in a building, but the, the talent, the people that are working with those cameras and putting it all together in every single regard, well, you're talking about the best in the business, A.B. And so they bring you in right to the right to the moment as best as you can i mean when, when you're in the building you can feel it and you can kind of feel the the stand shaking under your feet you, you can never recapture that on a broadcast or feel that but what uh what the group at tsn does uh, exceptionally well brilliantly in my in my mind is that they they give you that feel like okay i can't be there 
but it's the second best thing. And I, I, I think that that is tremendous. And, and whether that be capturing the, uh, the, the fan faces and the fan excitement, the player excitement, the player disappointment, I mean, you get a real up-close sense uh, of, uh, of, of all the fields that are going on during a game, and certainly when it's a, a big game, whether it be the quarterfinal versus Slovakia, whether it be the semifinal versus the U.S., and certainly tonight in, in a gold medal match uh, against Czechia, it'll be exactly the same. Craig, I do want to obviously ask you about the gold medal match, but the, the last two World Juniors that I went to, 2017 in Toronto and 2016, either 15 or 16 in Helsinki, um, both were good, but I don't think both had the kind of crowds that we've seen in Halifax. I'm curious, from your perspective as someone that goes to every tournament, why does this tournament work so well in a city like Halifax? Yeah, well, you, you know, like a, a couple of years ago, Josh, it was in uh, Vancouver and Victoria. And Canada wasn't in Victoria, and the building was sold out. It was fantastic. My, my simple answer on that is is that hockey connects communities across the country. And, you know, it's, it's something that, that courses through our veins as, as hockey fans. And I, I think when we get into uh, markets like Halifax, like Moncton, you know, it, it, it connects them to a greater way with something bigger than they are as, as a populace, as a city. You know, Halifax isn't a big city. It's the biggest city in, in the Atlantic provinces. But, but, but it's not Montreal, it's not Toronto, it's not Vancouver or Calgary or Edmonton, Winnipeg. It just isn't. And I, I, I think it just gives everybody that sense of belonging and, and, and the sense of that we matter. And so they get out. They, 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 it's not often that they get a, a World Junior event. It's 20 years ago that the last World Junior was in Halifax. So I think that they love hockey. And they support hockey. They support their junior teams, and and they have a great passion for the for hockey. Just just like all the corners of Canada have that. So I think that when they do get it, it it, it is it, it's a sense of pride. Hey, and we're going to show everybody. We're going to show everybody how much we care and how much we love uh, the the sport and and supporting Team Canada. And I I think that that is a a big rationale for it. I mean. Uh, when you were in Helsinki in 2016, the gold medal game was sold out. I mean, that was an unbelievable fact. But I think what separates, you know, and, and I'm talking even the big markets in Canada to markets like Moncton and Halifax, Victoria, is the games are, are, are like the, the attendance is, is high, high numbers all the way through. I, I was at a game one time in that Helsinki uh, uh, tournament. There, there was... 100 people in the building. I was at a game in Buffalo where there was 100 people. I was at a game in Montreal during the uh, 2017. There was 2,000 people in the building. So uh, we don't get that in, in, in these communities. And uh, they, they get behind the tournament and the teams in, in, in a real significant way. And I, I think that as well makes it special. And, and, not, and, and, and as importantly as anything, for the players and the, and the teams that come to participate. In conversation with Craig Butner, TSN Director of Scouting, and uh, was on the broadcast last night. We'll be on the broadcast again tonight here on TSN 1050. And But as for last night, it was kind of the first time in the tournament for Canada that it, it wasn't the Bedard show. You had Thomas Millich, who played out of his mind uh, last night, 43-state performance. Josh Waugh, four-point performance. Those who really led the way for Team Canada in the win against the U.S. I mean, how important was it for them to, to, to get a performance out of those guys, considering 
considering you know the Americans did a decent job keeping Bedard at bay. Well, they, well, they did, and it, what I would say to this is, and Joshua Law had four points. And, you know, it, it's not tennis; it's not singles match tennis where it's one up to one person. But without Thomas Millich's performance, Joshua Law could have had four points, and Canada would have lost ten five. Yeah, he was lights out, great, and it wasn't just the number of shots, the quality of shots that he faced by. Quality goal scorers, quality shooters. I mean, Jamie Stargerud is a is a phenomenal goal scorer, and I mean he. I mean, we're talking about great looks, great chance, and time and time again he shut him down. You know, to, to, to me there was only three times in the entire game where Thomas Miller was in trouble. I, I thought it was a great play by Jackson Blake to spin around. The goal ended up being disallowed. He got in trouble there. He got in trouble with the with the puck coming off the backboards, and he had to dive back in front of the net. And then late in the game, when there was no doubt about who was going to win the game, the puck from center ice when he reached up with his glove and it fell on top of the net. Those were the only three times that he was in trouble. Because if that number increased, Canada would be playing for a bronze medal today. Craig, I, I'm surprised we've made it four questions in without asking you about Connor Bedard. Um, he's he's going to be you know the player that I think a lot of Canadians who might be watching this team for the first time tonight are going to have their eyes on. Um, I, and and obviously the conversation over the last few days, at least in the greater public, has turned to you know how are NHL teams going to handle Connor Bedard because they look at what he's done throughout this tournament. It's historic, you know, when we're talking about teams tanking and, and teams trying to get him in the draft. I'm genuinely curious from your perspective, Craig. We watch what, what Connor has done throughout this tournament. It's historic. But I think we also know that, you know, teams, the, the, it's risky to kind of assess a player and, and go in too heavily on a player on what he's done in just one tournament. Where are you at with that? Because, you know, should we be judging Connor Bedard on this tournament because it's historic? Or should we be saying, look, let, let's wait and see what he does throughout a whole season in the dub, right? Well, I will tell you this, Josh. From the time he entered the Western Hockey League at 15 years of age, all he has done is dominated. He, he hasn't held his own. He hasn't excelled. He's dominated. So he goes in at 15. He dominates the Western Hockey League. He goes to the U18 in Dallas in April 2021. He dominates. He comes back to the Western League. He dominates. He goes to the World Junior. A brief appearance last year before it was canceled, postponed, dominates. Comes back to the Western Hockey League, dominates. World Junior dominates. Dominates the uh, Western Hockey League and now dominates the World Junior. That's three years of dominance. You know what? He, like, the expectations are high for Connor Bedard, and all he does is exceed them. And they're already exceptionally high. All I know is this. This isn't about one tournament. This is about uh, a brilliant young player that is now just continuing on that brilliance on, on the biggest junior stage you're ever going to be on. And so to me, this isn't about historic what he's doing here. This is about the brilliance of Connor Bedard and how unique he is. And what I would tell all the listeners out there, on the pregame tonight, we're going to have a little conversation about Connor Bedard and where he stands with some other players that were pretty significant at a similar age. Ooh, I definitely like got to be into that. There's a team. I like that. That's a tease and a half. Tune in, 6 p.m. sharp on the broadcast right here on TSN 1050. But just talking about Bedard, I mean, the growth, not only from year over year, but from last time we saw him in the summer. I mean, I'm just looking at the World Juniors in the summer tournament. Eight points in seven games. 
That's not too bad for, you know, a kid that was 16, 17 years old. But just a few months later, the way that he's elevated and he has progressed and the growth we've seen in his game since then, from eight points in seven games to now 23 in just six games and could potentially add to that tonight. I mean, how impressed are you with just how rapidly this kid has grown over the course of the last few months? Well, you know, a couple of things I think we need to keep in mind about the August tournament that's different than this tournament. So Connor finished his Western Hockey League season last year, and then he went and played at the U18. And when he finished in the when they when Canada lost in the quarterfinals uh, to uh, Finland, Connor Bedard didn't play hockey again until the World Junior Tournament. That's a long time. You know, that's May, June, July. That's three months. So, you know, and, and that, that impacted lots of players. That impacted a lot of different players in terms of it. But what I think it did for Connor, and, and it did for other players, but we'll stay on Connor, is it, is it allowed him to, to really, you know, get his off-ice training in order. And then part of off-ice training and, and is maintenance and getting rested and allowing your body to grow. Your, your body develops and grows as much in rest as it does in working out. And, and I think him just stepping away from playing and just being able to focus in in those areas really helped, like really helped him, you know, come through there. But now you're, you're in a state of preparedness. You're, you're in a better physical state. And as your body's maturing, now you go to the World Junior. But now there was no gap. Now he's getting ready for the regular season, and he's coming into the season playing. And he comes into this tournament with a, with a real swath of, of significant uh, success because of all that playing time. And I think it's all those things that have built up for him to arrive at this moment in time and dominate like he has. You, you, like I've seen this tournament, it's hard for 19-year-old players to dominate this tournament. And, and it's been rare that we've seen that happen, but it's, it, it, it's hard for 19-year-olds. It's unprecedented for 17-year-olds. I shouldn't say unprecedented. It's a rare, rare occurrence for 17-year-olds to come in. Yermer Yager had a great tournament in 1990. He wasn't the best player in the tournament. Robert Reichel was, his, his line mate. The last player that dominated this tournament at this age was Wayne Gretzky. That's a long time ago. <laughs> and I think that that puts Connor Bedard in even rarefied air. But just the, that's the rationale I have. And the explanation I have of why Connor Bedard, you know, in a, in, in a span of less than six months, has, has taken his game up, up, up a level. And it goes back to the three months of being off the ice and training and everything that goes with, you know, allowing your body and, and, and the maturation process to take place. So, Craig, let's talk about the final tonight. Canada bookends the tournament with games against Czechia. Um, what went wrong in that first game, and, and how does Canada kind of rectify things and, and, and win another goal tonight? I, I thought in the first game, Josh, that Canada was pedestrian. I didn't think they had a lot of initiative in and around the net. I thought they were slow. I thought that they were predictable and, and pedestrian. Now, that happens, and, you know, you, you learn from that. You, you, you know, you, you learn sometimes better through failure than through success. And I think that Dennis Williams and the coaching staff have done a really nice job of getting the, getting the team repurposed. And, you know, with that, it means, you know, switching some lines, adjusting some different uh, aspects of, of, of their team play. And I, I think that that's paid dividends. So when I watch how Team Canada has progressed through the tournament, I think that 
they they got their they got their most significant test versus the U.S. in the semifinal. I don't think Chucky is capable of testing Canada like that. I think Chucky is going to have to hope for two things, maybe three. They're going to have to hope for Canada to have a real off night like they did in that game one. I, 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 I don't think that's realistic. Number two, I think they're going to have to really try to, you know, like keep the keep the game really slow paced. I don't think they have the speed or the skill to put Canada in the spots that the U.S. did in the semifinal. And 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 of course, what goes with that is if you're going to try to play a low scoring tight game, and much like they did against Sweden in their semifinal win, they're going to need Thomas Suhanek to 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 really uh, play exceptionally well. And uh, I I don't think that. Canada is vulnerable against a team that isn't going to push them. I thought they were vulnerable against the U.S. We talked about Thomas Milch, how brilliant he is. Now, I've seen this tournament for years, and I've seen great goaltenders come in in one game, despite the efforts of maybe a better team on the other side, giving you everything they got. They find a way to win. I think that that's, that's the recipe for Czechia. I'll stand by what I said at the beginning of the tournament. Canada's favorite for gold. Now, I don't believe you're a, a, a betting man, Craig. I could be wrong. But what type of odds would I have to give you for you to bet on a Michigan attempt to be made tonight? Because that was the big talk of the tournament the day after the Czechia game. And we haven't seen one since. And I'm curious how, like, what the odds would have to be for you to lay down some change on that. <laughs> it's a good question, A.B. It's a good question because uh, what, what I would say is, see, I think, I think the Michigan moves, the Mike Leg moves or cross move, whatever you want to call it, right? Like players are trying to score. And when, and when you have gifted players that are trying to score, then use whatever means possible to try to score. So I don't, I don't look at it as a Michigan move. I try to think about, okay, how, how will Czechia defend around their net? I think defenders are a lot more aware of the Michigan move. And I think if you're going to be, if if Czechia plays the way I think they're going to play, then it's going to be really tight. And I don't think they're going to give up uh, chances in and around the net where where the Michigan play will present itself. So I would have to say, you'd have to give me really, really advantageous odds. And you are a better. (laughs) <laughs> I don't bet, but that doesn't mean I'm not aware of what I need to do to place a bet. <laughs> so, yeah, I, and they'd have to be high, probably. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I would say to AB. <laughs> yeah, I think they'd have to be high to place that one. But wouldn't it be cool if like the game winner ended up, like it goes to overtime and Bedard hits a Michigan for the game winner? That place would explode. That place, the internet would oh explode. Oh my <laughs> God, it would be unbelievable. This entire country would erupt on a goal like that. Uh, but that's that stuff we see it, in movies. But like, but, okay, yeah, but, but but stop and think about that. For a like, the time will come. Like, you know, when Patrick Mahomes came into the NFL and started doing the things he did, yeah. we, we, were, we were in awe. We started going, oh, can you believe what he's doing? But Michael Jordan did the things that he did. We, we were in awe. And Usain Bolt as a, as a sprinter, we were in awe. So it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when it happens. And I would suggest that, it, I mean, we've seen it happen a lot. It's going to happen in a big game. It's going to happen yep. in a big, big moment. And you know what? Because the players try it, and the players are capable of pulling it off. And like I said, 
I, I see it as, a, as an attempt to score. I see it as a creative way to try to find a way to score. And if the game is about finding ways to score and, and being successful, it's just another aspect and another tool to use to, to give you that advantage. And, hey, wouldn't it be – how about overtime with the Michigan? That's what I mean, overtime game-winning goal. <laughs> and it, 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 Connor Bedard at that. That would just – that's legitimately Hollywood movie-type – uh, stuff right there. We'll see. We'll see if it happens. I, I, I don't think I'd place money on it personally, but uh, you never know. You never know. Actually, really quickly before uh, before we let you go, um, the Kraken are going to have to have a decision. They're in Toronto tonight, actually, taking on the Maple Leafs. They'll have a decision on their hands about what to do with Shane Wright uh, tomorrow. Has he done anything at this tournament to maybe suggest that Seattle should give him another shot at the NHL, or do you think he's best off um, and probably going to be on his way back to Kingston after tonight. Yeah, what I would say to you, I mean, th- I mean, this is just my own personal feeling. I, 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 I think Shane, you know, coming into the NHL, you know, he, he just had his challenges early on. He went down to the American Hockey League. I saw his first two games. Uh, they happened to be playing in Calgary versus the Wranglers. He scored three goals in those two games, and, and he looked way more comfortable. And then he came back to, to uh, Seattle. I saw him score his first, game, his first goal in the NHL because I was doing the Montreal Canadiens broadcast. So, you know, and, and, and I think that there was real progression in his game. Gordon Miller, when we were doing a pre-turn game uh, prior to this tournament, said it looks like he's having fun playing the game again. And, and I think that that is, that, that, that is evident. I think he's been a real good, solid, strong player for Team Canada in this tournament. And I think that, you know, the Seattle Kraken are in a different place. They're trying to push up the standings. And I think, for me, the best thing, what I would, what, what I would do is have, would have Shane Wright go back to junior hockey. And then if Kingston wants to trade him prior to the OHL trade deadline or, or whatever trans, transpires from there, but keep building on, on, on what he's done. This. I think if he goes back to the NHL, with a team that's trying to push ahead in the standings, I don't think he'll find that footing like he did. And I think it'll be harder for him to sustain. I want players to have success. I want to see players continue to perform to their abilities and develop those abilities. And not playing a lot in the NHL doesn't help that along. So I'd have him back in June. Uh, appreciate the time, as always, Craig. Uh, have fun and good luck on the call tonight. If you get to call... A Michigan in overtime, I, I it's, it's just going to be it'll be played on the show tomorrow for probably every five minutes. We'll have to to listen to the replay of that call. To be quite honest with you, but uh, enjoy you know, the game tonight. You know what I got to do? I know what I got to do. So just just indulge me for a second. Amy. All right. You know what I got to do? I I got to get with my good friend Lester McLean, who who Ooh. you know. Uh, James Duffy, he, he, t- he wants credit for a lot of the creative parts of some of the songs, Puck Over Glass, and James deserves a lot of credit, but <laughs> it's, the, it's the musical genius of Lester that pulls it all together. So, you know what I, what I got to do is I got to get Lester to kind of write a song about the lacrosse goal with the Michigan fight song, like oh. Hail to the Victors, something like that. And, Victor, <laughs> and, and I, I can tell you what, like Lester can do it. So, you know what? I'm keeping Duffy right out of this 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 creative process. Because all there's been like he might have just have a little bit he'll take all the credit. So I'm keeping him out. Lester and I are gonna do this. That's right. He calls them Duffy Originals, and we all know who uh, the real brains behind the operation is. And you're a you're a stand up guy. You'll give credit where credit is due, Craig. All right, enjoy the call tonight, pal. We'll chat yeah, again I next will. week. Thanks. 
Nice right. chat with you, Josh. Thank you. There he goes. Craig Button, TSN Director of Scouting. And, uh, yeah, he's going to be the color man on the radio broadcast tonight here on TSN 1050. Coverage starting at 6 p.m. Canada taking on Czechia in the gold medal match, a rematch from Game 1 of the tournament. And, I mean, you know, we spent some time talking about that uh, Michigan play that they tried to pull off a couple of times that Czechia game. And, you know, there was a lot of people and, and, and um, you know, hatred online about how that cost them in that game. And they were, you know, trying to be too flashy. And then even the players themselves came out afterwards and said, we can't Michigan our way to the gold medal. And they haven't attempted one since. I think that is notable that they have not attempted one since, and you know they've been perfect really, time really for it good. now. Perfect time for it now. That's what I'm saying, Josh. I, I, That's look, what I'm saying. Someone's got to be first through the wall with this kind of stuff, and yeah. I am. I am all on board with the Michigan and and making that part of like a, a shooter, a scorer's regular repertoire. repertoire. It first of all, like. Do do goalkeepers have a ton of experience defending against it? It's not something you practice quite often. I, I I'll, I'll be honest. I saw Austin Matthews trying it a little bit in Leafs practice yesterday, but it was literally just him alone on the rink. Right there wasn't any goalie. Well, that's like, the one he hasn't yet perfected it. He hasn't gotten it off yet. He hasn't scored one. I think he's tried to like cradle it a couple times to get going, and it falls off his stick. But he's yet to like really truly attempt it. I felt like we talked about this last time, but if we're talking about like growing the game and getting new viewers, like it's that kind of viral stuff. Yeah, for that, sure. That that garners new audiences around the world. Like for the same reason, when you see, you know, a, a, it's like the, when Zegris made his play with uh, I can't remember who's Sonny Milano last year. I mean, that was all over ESPN, all over sports. And his face afterwards. His face afterwards. His just, like, look of of shock that they all pulled it off. That's the kind of stuff that you can kind of, that encapsulates, like, hopefully a new generation of players. And, like, I I, I get it. I I, I get why younger players might have felt a bit of heat afterwards. But the idea that, no, you can't Michigan your way to, to a gold medal or whatever, but... This is to me like I I don't like the idea of saying well now we're in a gold medal game so we we have to like we have to restrain the way that they feel if, if players feel that this is the kind of way that 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 they want to play they shouldn't subdue those those urges if that makes sense yeah it's like if it's in the moment like this is this is the right time I think I can pull this off. Then you do it. You trust your hockey IQ. But but, but I think that's what happened in the Czechia game, too. Like, the first time. I don't think... Like, it was pretty in the flow of things. It wasn't out of nowhere. They just didn't work out. And when something doesn't work out, you question it more often. If they would have scored on those goals, it would not have been a conversation. It would have been celebrated of the skill level and the, the guts that they had to pull off those moves. But because it didn't work out, we sit here and we debate, ah, should they have done that? Shouldn't they have done that? But we'll see. We'll see if they pull it off tonight. I think it'd be like uh, if it does happen in overtime. That's like the game winner in OT. That be uh, that place will explode uh, down there. Uh, we got a Leaf game tonight too. We've barely talked about that, but the Leaf uh, are hosting the Seattle Kraken. We'll have Everett Fitzhugh, the radio man for the Kraken. He'll join us at 105. We'll help tee up that game. But coming up next. We're going to debut a segment. Well, not debut. Like, like the re- yeah, kind of a debut-ish. We did something similar last time you were on, but it's called Curious Cloak. We'll explain what it is next. Now, back to Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. 
Lunch continues here on TSN 1050. I'm Mike DiStefano. I am with Josh Cloak of The Athletic Film and for Julia Tashiri. We'll be back next week. Excited to, uh, to, to get back to doing shows with her. We have the Maple Leafs taking on the Kraken tonight. We'll be joined by Everett Fitzhugh of uh, the Kraken uh, radio broadcast. He'll join us at 1 o'clock to help tee up that game. You were in here about uh, maybe two weeks or so ago. Yep. You, you were joining me as a co-host, and we came up with this uh, with this little bit. It's like a "Would you rather" type of segment. Then it was, you know, what would you rather under the Christmas tree? It was, yep. of our, it was part of our five days of Christmas theme, and you wanted to kind of bring it back. And we thought, okay, we got to come up with some other way to go about it because it's no longer Christmas. We can't go with that, so we're calling it "Curious Cloak." So, Curious Cloak. I love it. I, I read Curious George to my son. There you go. A lot. The the Curious George when he. Uh, By the way, are you still regretting two weeks later getting this uh, this young son of yours a pair of drums? No, no it was guitar. it was a guitar. Guitar. It was a guitar. No, I, I get a concert every night. He bounces up and down <laughs> on his. He's got a little trampoline at home, um, and he's gonna rip those guitar strings soon enough. Oh yeah. That's, oh yeah. That's how rock and roll he is. Yeah. Uh, so the way that this is gonna work is you're gonna pose me two different options, and I have to pick which one I would uh, I would prefer. So why don't we get this started? This is the first installment of Curious Cloak. Saw this quote by Walt Whitman painted on the wall there. It said, Be curious, not judgmental. Let me ask you a question. I'm curious. All right. Nice day. Is that Nick? Producer Nick? Nice. Nice job, producer Nick. Like I I, I am astounded. Big Nick really coming through there. Because that that Ted Lasso quote means a lot to me. But yeah. uh oh for sure. But we'll soccer guys. I no, but I just love this the sentiment of it. Curiosity is is something uh I've tried to instill into my son. But anyway, uh I got four questions here for you, A B. All right, let's go. I'm curious. As a fan, would you rather Toronto host the World Juniors or the NHL All Star game? Ooh. Uh I, like the World Juniors is one is is the answer, because I I personally like the World Juniors better. Like the, the NHL All Star Game is is gimmicky and it's got some cool elements to it. Like the the skills competition is always fun and there's always events that kind of go with the All Star Game around the city. So that would be interesting. That'd be cool to have all of these big time NHL talents in the city. But the World Juniors has like a special sentiment with Canadians and and I would prefer to go and watch the World Juniors. And and just what we're seeing right now happen in Halifax, I'd be curious to see if Toronto could put on a show like that. Well, I think that's the reason I brought it up is, again, I was there in 2017 covering it, and there was a lot of questions about how well the tournament kind of landed Mm -hmm. in Toronto, just because there's so many other entertainment options you know, for fans in a big city, right? the, The building's a lot bigger. Sure. So tougher to fill I think is also something that's that's you know, worth saying as well. Not to say that there's not 20,000 people who would love to go watch Canada, but it's just a little bit different. I, I feel like when they are in smaller cities, arenas, towns, you just, I don't know, it, it has a little bit more charm to the tournament in the way that we're seeing here here in Halifax, um, even more than we saw in, in Edmonton. I mean, that was a bit of a different story, but I, I think I would prefer the World Juniors, though. I saw some attendance numbers come out this morning, and I, I think it's really, really landed yeah. um, this, this year in Eastern Canada. Uh, moving on, this one's a little more nuts and bolts, but it's topical. I'm curious, A.B., 
Would you rather have Michael Bunting or Morgan Riley as the fifth player on PP1 right now? Oh, this is a good one. I mean... Thank you. I, they've been pretty successful mm-hmm. over the last little bit. And they really have been. It's something that we've talked about a little bit here. Um, I don't know how much longer they want to go with this. Maybe that they're they're kind of happy and set and they want to go with this five forward unit for a while. But Michael Bunting's been a nice addition and he's been producing on that unit as well. Got a goal the other night. But what I kinda of like about this five forward unit is how like interchangeable they are and the fact that they're constantly moving around the ice surface, mm-hmm. which to me feels like it's opening up the defense a little bit, opening up that penalty kill, which is creating a lot of seams. So chaos up a in of, a good way. Yeah, like they're creating chaos for the defense, right? As opposed to when you have a guy like Morgan Riley, not to say that he's he's not great. I mean, this was the top power play last season with Morgan Riley yep. on it. Um, so really, it's these are two great options that the Maple Leafs have. But I like what they're doing right now. So could I change my mind if, if things start to go south? Absolutely. But right now, I don't think you, you change what's working. So for tonight's game, I would rather see Bunting remain on PP1 than Morgan Riley. Because, like, what I find, I think, is different, too, is you have more options. Yep. And the team isn't necessarily relying on Austin Matthews to get that shot off on the power play. Right? And, and by doing that, you have Nylander, who's been producing on the power play bunting obviously Tavares it just seems to be more trigger men when it's you got five guys moving around it's very fluid out yeah. there so I think there's just kind of more options for Toronto this way I think I just appreciate that it brings up kind of a philosophical argument about whether you want to go forward with five forwards right like and I said this before someone's got to be first the other night though sure well granted I, Sam Snob needed to save that but we'll we'll talk about that in a minute but um i i just someone's got to be first through the wall i said that before and i just think like if you have the talent at your disposal when you're able to do these kind of things they're very difficult for the opposition to game plan for yeah which is why i think it's working in part right now speaking of of both of those players two key leaps again i'm curious ab Two key Leafs are out of contract at the end of the season. One UFA, one RFA. Okay. Assuming both of these players get full market value and weighing in the, the Leafs' salary cap situation, assuming both of these players can command full market value, would you rather re-sign Michael Bunting or Ilya Samsonov long-term? I think the answer's got to be Michael Bunting. I mean, he's he's been a fixture for the last two seasons now. Now, the... the by you saying full market value, it does add a wrinkle to this. Of course. What to you is market value for Michael Bunting at the moment? Is that that is a tricky question. Frankie well, like right now, today, yesterday. yeah, like t- today, his his value has never been higher because of how well he's played over this last and recent stretch. There are ongoing conversations. We've been told there was a report from Pierre LeBron yep. the other day that there are ongoing conversations with the Maple Leafs and Michael Bunting's camp. So, like, this is a legitimate. Like discussion right now. I want to add something here, and I, I know that that Michael Bunting is the easy answer here. But here's my kind of point. Kyle Dubas ha- has done a lot. He's done a lot of good things in his tenure so far as Leafs GM. One yeah. of them being his ability to unearth diamonds in the rough. Michael Bunting is your best example. I think if you're Kyle Dubas, and for for whatever reason, if Michael Bunting has to walk, you can find another forward like that. And hold on a sec. I don't know. It is. Is there a more difficult position to, f- to to fill in the NHL than a number one goalkeeper? And I'm not saying Ilya Samsonov is your answer. I think answer. that's my issue, though, because it, it's 
I think also what might have to play into this is the is the play of Matt Murray. And Murray's played really well right now, like to this point. But is he long term? Is he a long term guy? Why couldn't he be? Uh, He's it... under contract next year, so he is yep. going to be this goaltender next season. And if he if he plays as consistently as he's playing right now, why can't he be your long term? Again, I, I guess the question is: is are you comfortable? It raises a bigger question: Are you more comfortable, kind of rolling the dice with a different goalkeeper or different goalkeeper tandem every year? Because it kind of looks like that's the way it's trending with this Leafs team, is it not? You're asking me this question where the last four games, Sam Snow's got an 8.50 yep. percentage, yep. too. So maybe some recency bias is being baked into my answer here. But ultimately, I look at Michael Bunting and his last 20 games, he's playing at a point-per-game pace. In the year 2022, the calendar, season, calendar year, he was sixth in the NHL in points at 5-on-5, five five, more than Connor McDavid. The question is how much is that going to cost the Leafs to bring him in? We went through this a couple of seasons ago with Zach Hyman where they knew how you know how good a player he was but could they afford to bring him in ultimately they couldn't because the market value for him elsewhere was something that the Maple Leafs just couldn't afford and couldn't stomach is it going to be a similar situation with Michael Bunting this year I I think the term will probably have to be there if you're Michael Bunting the the term will have to be there because your AAV probably comes in well definitely I would think comes in lower than Zach Hyman just because the track record isn't there that that Hyman has um, but I, again, uh, the way I fall back, and I'm not. This is no slag on Michael Bunting. I think he's Bunting's a, a little younger though. I, like, I'll give him that. At 26 years old, Bunting is doing has done more than Zach Hyman did by 26 years old. I think it's by 27 now. I, and, and this is just where I would vote. I think it's harder to fill that goalkeeper position long term. That's where I'm at. So you're sold on Samsonov then. I am more sold on him uh, than others. Yeah, like, I'm more sold on Bunting as being what he's showing now than I am on Samsonov. It's, we're not going to have the answer until the end of the season, yeah, and, true. And, and and perhaps even longer than that. Uh, last one, one here. Really quick, yeah. Let's get weird. I'm curious. Would you rather have the Leafs make the Stanley Cup final this season, and who knows what happens, but the Leafs are in the final. Oh, okay. That's all. That's where you're at. And you roll the dice in that series, see what happens, or... Would you rather somehow magically see Connor Bedard dropped into the Leafs lineup for next season oh, and next season wow. alone? Wow, this is an unreal question. Holy smokes. Um, like, as a draft pick? No, you just get Connor Bedard next year for one year. But what? Oh, for one year? You get him for one year. Oh, I'll take one... the Stanley Cup. And Stanley then... Cup final appearance. If it's only one year, then I, I, I will take the Stanley Cup final appearance. What if it were Connor Bedard for Connor Bedard's career? Oh, man. You, you are deep in thought on this. So are you trading something for Connor Bedard? No, but that's but you... that's just a stipulation as well. Is you would have to figure out, like, after Connor Bedard's, um, you know, entry-level deal is up. Yeah. Then you're going to have to pay him whatever. Uh, of course. Of course. Oh, man. Or do you get potentially seven games in a Stanley Cup final? But how many more Stanley Cup finals could you reach with Connor Bedard? And how many and could, Mitch Marner, how many could you afford? Nila- well, you've got at least a three-year window. Well, he's on his ELC to get there. I think I'd take Bedard and roll the dice. You've got, you've got the salary cap we expect to start going up over the next couple of seasons. 
I think I'd roll the dice and take Bedard because I, I feel like if he joins this nucleus that's here now on that ELC for the yeah. next three years, they could they might be able to get there on their own. And I'm learning a little bit more about your Bedard. gambling style here. Like I'm a bit more of a cons- I'm a much more conservative gambler. Like if yeah. I see something in front of me and I I say this is a small win. I'll take if it. If you told me Stanley Cup, they win a cup, I'll take the cup. Uh, not win. Not it's, win. That's Just right. Be... So it, it's it's not a Stanley Cup victory, which at the end of the day... And nothing, nothing compares to that. What are we talking about? Billy Bean said it best. If you don't win the final game of the season, no one gives a bleep. So if they don't win that game, it doesn't make it worth it. I almost, I almost put a Billy Bean quote in my last mailbag thing. My bleep doesn't work in the playoffs. I've been thinking about that a there lot with this Leafs team. Uh, but so you're, you'd go, you'd roll the dice with Bedard? Yeah, because I feel like there could be multiple Stanley Cup Finals appearances in his Maple Leafs tenure. So I'll, I'll roll the dice if we get more than one. Where do you think he ends up? Or, better question, where do you think he is best suited? Vancouver would be great because he's a Vancouver native. And, you know, he could turn around that franchise, go to Chicago, top six franchise. He could, you know, help facilitate this changeover from the Kane-Taze era. Um, those would be the two spots that I would prefer to see him in. Um, Wouldn't it yeah. be fun to see him playing alongside Trevor Zegras in Anaheim? No. No? I would have to stay <laughs> Straight up. Straight up, no. I have to stay up till midnight to watch the games. Like, I, I, I just would prefer not to have to do that a lot. But, boy, could, you, could you generate a whole new group of, of, of fans in, in California? You could. You could. I mean, Zegras is doing that on his own. He's doing a pretty good job of that uh, all by him, all by himself. Uh, some help would clearly, you know, speed some things along. But I think I still rather him either in a Canadian market or or uh, an original six franchise like like Chicago. All right, good stuff. I love this bit. Every time you're on, we're gonna have to bring it back. Curious, curious cloak. cloak. Love it. All right, uh, Edward Fitzhugh still to join us in the one o'clock hour. Uh, we'll tee up tonight's game, Leafs and Kraken. Uh, I'm Mike DiStefano with Josh Cloak of The Athletic. You're listening to Leafs Lunch here on TSN 1050. This is Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. Welcome back into Leafs Lunch. I'm Mike DiStefano. I've got Josh Cloak of The Athletic in with me today. And uh, we've got the... Seattle Kraken in town, taking on the Maple Leafs. Toronto coming off their first shootout loss of the season against St. Louis. So they'll be looking to get back into the win column against a team that's won back-to-back games here. Um, Would you say that the Kraken might be a a surprise story this year? I mean, last year it didn't go really well, as definitely wasn't the Vegas storyline for Mm. an inaugural season for them, but a pretty good sophomore campaign out of of this Kraken group. They're currently in a playoff spot, and they've won a couple of games here. I mean, what's your your assessment on the story of the Seattle Kraken? Well, yeah, and you look at, like, they haven't made a ton of, ton of changes, at least up front, right? And same same coach. You would think, at least on paper, a, a lot of it. Bjorkstrand was a sneaky addition this, sure. this offseason. But, like, but. Not, a, not, a, like not an overhaul by any no, means, no. right? Um, I, 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 I like that, um, I, I think they've committed to a style of play that I think works really well for them. Uh, I I love watching Matty Beniers. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the way it goes um, with a lot of these expansion teams. They maybe don't get a lot of play early on, aside from Vegas, of course. Uh, but I you know I noticed Sheldon Keefe yesterday 
uh, after practice was quick to give the Kraken a lot of credit. Right, we don't always see him pumping the opposition's tires as much as he did yesterday. You know, he mentioned twice that they were such a difficult team to play against. He mentioned, you know, how a lot of their underlying numbers were really, really good and how their mm-hmm. their five on five out offense is amongst the best in the NHL. So I think this is a game that, you know, maybe at the beginning of the year you look at the schedule, you think this is maybe a bit of an easier out and a game where you can kind of get really back on the rails after a few games after the Christmas break that have been, I don't know, wobbly, not super, super consistent. But I think this is going to be quite a difficult one for the Leafs right now. Could be. Could be. I mean, we talk about some of the additions that they made, I suppose. Andre Burakovsky coming off of his Stanley Cup um, you know, run with the abs. He signs there. He's operating, uh, well, just, I guess, under a point per game. He's got, he, but he leads the squad with 28 points so far this year. Daniel Sprong, 22 points in 29 games. He's kind of a forgotten man, former Pittsburgh draft pick. He was with Washington for a little bit, kind of putting around in the minors, and all of a sudden ends up in Seattle, and looks like they may have uncovered a little gem here with him. He's got 11 goals through uh, 29 games. And then Bjorkstrand, as we mentioned, uh, was another addition that, that, that they had made. But they got really good goaltending earlier in the season. It's kind of dried up, though, yeah. as of late. Both goalies since December 1st playing at a sub-900 uh, save percentage rate. So that's one thing where if you're Seattle, you gotta, you got to wonder and question, is this goaltending, will this be able to hold up for us going forward? And we'll have Everett Fitzhugh join us uh, in, the, in the 1 o'clock hour, in about 10 minutes or so, actually. And I'll be curious to see what his thoughts on that would be. Um, why don't we take a quick break and we get back? Uh, well, Everett Fitzhugh will join us at 105 so we can get into some of those more conversations and tee up that game with him. Uh, I'm Mike DiStefano. Uh, I'm with Josh Cloak of The Athletic. It was an Elise Lunch here on TSN 1050.